0: Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the Gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, we come to this third Sunday of Easter and our Gospel is what N.T. Wright calls the masterpiece within the masterpiece. He means the whole 24th chapter of, of Luke is a masterpiece. But within that, we find this account of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. and It's a masterpiece for all kinds of reasons, but I think basically because it's a summation of the spiritual life. I mean, you can read all the dynamics of the spiritual life off of this story. Look how it starts. On that first day of the week, two disciples of Jesus are walking to a village seven miles from Jerusalem, called Emmaus. Everything in Luke moves toward Jerusalem. That's where the action is. That's where the cross and resurrection take place. That's where the coming of the Spirit is. Everything moves toward Jerusalem. Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. So, these two disciples are walking the wrong way. That's the point we're meant to see. And again, everybody, we're meant to identify with them. They stand for all of us disciples of Jesus who nevertheless keep getting it wrong. We keep walking away from where we should be going. Here's the good news, though. Even though they're walking the wrong way, Jesus comes and walks with them, though they don't recognize him. You know, several things here, but it's that primacy of grace, which I talk about all the time because you could say it's the master theme of the Bible. It's not as though we have to perform adequately to get God to love us. That's just the wrong logic in the spiritual order. Rather, even when we're walking the wrong way, Jesus comes and walks with us. You know, and also these great themes in Pope Francis come to mind here. The Pope keeps emphasizing accompaniment, and that's what this is. They don't have to perform to get him to accompany them. Jesus simply comes, and he walks with them. And then, with this kind of delicious irony, Jesus himself says, well, hey, what are you talking about as you go? What I love here is it's a it's a template I think for anyone involved in the work of the church What will never work very well if we simply start pontificating from on high? We simply start wagging the finger morally at people that almost never works the first step which is an imitation of God, it's a step of grace, is to move into somebody's world. Walk with them, even when they're walking the wrong way. Ask them what they're talking about. What's on your mind? You know, I always remember Paul Tillich, the the Protestant theologian, who said, most sermons are answers to questions that nobody's asking. So Tillich, recommended what he called the method of correlation, to correlate the questions of the time with the answers of the gospel. Well, that's a good instinct for any teacher, preacher, pastoral minister. What what are you talking about? What's on your mind? Again, Pope Francis is really good, I think, at emphasizing these motifs. And now, the irony continues, because it's, it's Christ himself asking the question. Then we hear One of them, named Cleopas, said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know of the things that have taken place? And then Jesus, well, what what things? What are you talking about? And then, Cleopas and his friend begin to recount for the Lord himself all the basic details of the life and ministry of Jesus. He was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, before God and all the people. Our chief priests and rulers handed him over to a sentence of death, crucified him. We were hoping he'd be the one to redeem Israel. And now, the third day since these things took place, and some women in our group say he's risen from the dead. Now, here's what's extraordinary. (laughs) They, They get everything right, don't they? They've got the basic structure of the story. As I would suggest, practically anybody, at least in the West today, would be able to do, right? If you were to ask someone, hey, tell me about this Jesus of Nazareth, about Jesus Christ, they'd probably tell you this basic outline. So so why are they dejected? Why, Why are they walking the wrong way? Why are they so sad? Because though they have the data, they don't have the meaning. Sometimes you can see all that's there to be seen but you don't get the pattern. I think I've talked to you before about about the cartoons in the New Yorker magazine. I get the New Yorker, I I like it largely for the cartoons, and they're very clever, you know. And 95% of the time I I get the cartoon, why it's funny. But sometimes I'll look at a cartoon, I'll see everything in it, all the characters, their expressions, I'll read the caption. I've seen it all. But like, okay, I don't get it. Why, why is that funny? And it might take some time before you know, the light goes on. And you get it. But see, getting it doesn't involve seeing any more data. It's not like, "Oh, oh, I missed that character back in the corner." No, what I come to see is the pattern that links all of this together. Now come back to the story. They, they got all the details right, all the data right, but they don't have the pattern. And at this point, it's, it's a turning point in the story. At this moment, Jesus, who's been you know, listening and walking with them in this kind of you know, non-judgmental way, hearing their point of view, he says, oh, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophet spoke. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, notice something, please. We talk about accompaniment. Terrific. I'm all in favor of it. We talk about walking with people, listening to them, not being judgmental, not wagging the finger. Yes, yes, I agree with all that. Primacy of grace, yes. But notice, Jesus does not just wander around with these two fellas. He doesn't just walk any way they want to go. At a decisive moment in the process, he begins to teach them. Don't you get it? Don't you see the pattern that the Christ had to undergo suffering so as to enter into his glory? Now they see the pattern of a suffering love that goes all the way down to express the divine mercy and thereby comes to glory there's the pattern and then with that in mind here's for everybody that wants to get more deeply into the scriptures then beginning with moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures that's beautiful and and believe me every one of us who's ever studied the bible we would Love to have been a fly in the wall at that moment, when Jesus himself walks through the entire Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, I see Moses and the Prophets, and lights up how everything in the Old Testament speaks of him. Because that's where the pattern was revealed for the first time. That makes sense. So, yes, accompaniment, yes, in this very non-intrusive and inviting way, but then, then, at a decisive moment, he begins to teach out of the Bible, revealing the pattern so they would understand who he is. Now, the story intensifies at this point. As they approached the village to which they were going, so they're getting close to Emmaus, he gave the impression that he was just going to be heading on. And they, they were so enraptured by his teaching, that they say, you know, stay with us. So he does, and then famously, they sit down to eat, and Jesus takes bread, and he breaks it. The characteristic Eucharistic gesture. See, what's the Eucharist? What is it? It's God's love unto death. This is my body given for you. This is the chalice of my blood that's shed for you. The Eucharist means suffering so as to enter His glory. The Eucharist means the divine mercy fully expressed. and that's why in that moment of the breaking of the bread, their eyes were opened and they got it. They saw Him. The teaching about the Old Testament, the revelation of the pattern, they were starting to see. You bet, they were starting to see. Their hearts were burning within them. Quite right. But then, it was in the Eucharistic moment that the pattern was fully revealed to them, and they knew whom they were dealing with. They knew who he was. Everybody walking the wrong way? Uh Uh-huh. That's all of us sinners, but especially today. So many walking away from the churches. Jesus comes, and you know what? He might come in in your guise. He might come because you walk with somebody. Remember, we're his eyes and his ears and his hands and his feet. So, Jesus, maybe it's through you, comes to walk with those who are walking in the wrong direction. He listens, of course. What are you talking about? What's on your mind? But then he breaks open the word, and then he breaks the bread. And in these great liturgical moves, his identity is revealed. That's why, you know, my fellow Catholics, especially listening to me, this is why we have to draw people back to the Mass. I mean, what is this but the Mass? But the Mass, there's the liturgy of the Word, followed by the liturgy of the Eucharist. And in both those moments, it's Christ who is addressing us. Now, look how the story ends. They recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. How come he vanished, by the way? Von Balthazar says, because he disappears into the mission of the church. It's Beautiful, huh? He disappears into their mission. Listen. So, they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem. They started going the wrong way. But the encounter with Christ, through the Word and through the Eucharist, now sends them back in the right direction. Despite the danger of the road, despite the lateness of the hour, despite their fear of what would happen to them in Jerusalem, they go back to the sacred city. At the end of Mass, after we've experienced Christ in the breaking open of the Word and the breaking of the bread, We hear those words, Go! Go! The Mass has ended. Go! Proclaim the Gospel. Glorify the Lord by your life. That's the sending that takes place at the end of this story. How beautiful, by the way, back they go to the Eleven in Jerusalem. They return to the church. They return to the church and there they find their identity and their mission. So, can I urge everybody on this third Sunday of Easter, as we are privileged to read this beautiful story, go back, open your Bibles. Luke chapter 24. This masterpiece within the masterpiece. Let this story wash over you, because you'll find on display all the dynamics of the spiritual life. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.